Don't you know, Coo? Driver! And welcome again to the Interstate Wrestling Podcast, the wrestling fan podcast that is bringing you on the journey of joy, adoration, and as a term we've decided we're going to adopt and embrace is total and complete nerdism of wrestling. Uh, I think we'll be filing the trademarks on that, or at least trying to at some point down the road. <laughs> I'm your co-host, James. And I'm your co-host, Josh Mordecai. Glad to have you join us with us again for another fun night of talking about this thing that we share and love in common and come back to time and time again for enjoyment and uh in the case of tonight some uh some cringing in a good way cringing is well said uh <laughs> that's a nice little spotlight on uh what will be the major portion of this isn't it tonight hardcore extreme deathmatch wrestling uh, especially as we timestamped our last episode that was recorded right around revolution happening there was of course the the mox kenny omega exploding barbed wire match which uh, mm-hmm. i don't want to get into that too too soon because uh we'll be exchanging some thoughts on that but um something just relative to our to our last chat josh yeah i just saw tonight that for the fourth time AEW have rescheduled that march 18th show yeah i'm kind of thrilled that they still keep moving it because uh it, it's like something to keep clinging to it's the ever moving needle but it's it's something to cling to uh and i guess we're Late September is when that show is back on the docks now, right? Yeah, and it feels kind of the inverse of what we talked about last time, where it was like, oh, I'm sure Mania will be fine. It's in three weeks to now actually saying like, oh, that's in October. That's or September. That's actually probably going to be fine. So just kind of a nice, refreshing thing from where we were literally a year ago. Yeah, I keep seeing images, um, and this is aside from wrestling, but I keep seeing images online. Uh, a New Zealand band by the name of Crowded House are currently on tour in uh, in new zealand sure and th- the images are something to really cover it's you know tens of thousands of people packed in arenas seeing live music unmasked uh and again we're, we're not a podcast about covid19 are we but i i can't help but cover that and it was weird just staring at those images and then seeing the aw announcement tonight i was like Oh, that's amazing. Maybe these shows really will go ahead. And actually, Bryce Remsburg posted, yeah. hopefully this is the final time these uh, these get rescheduled, you know? Yeah. And seeing those pictures from places like New Zealand and having that like Wayne's World moment of, she will be mine. <laughs> oh, yes. She will be mine. <laughs> We're going to be back in those seats soon. Do you know, it was weird looking at the images as well, because it was like, is is this real life? Am I looking at a real image? Yeah. Um, are they photos from the past? It was like, you know. Yeah. My brain couldn't process whether it was modern day or artifact. It was a very strange feeling. But in in, in similar vein, you know, I guess uh, WrestleMania was supposed to go on sale today, which uh, yep. we're, we're in full stretch for WrestleMania, and we'll talk a little bit about some upcoming uh, stuff. But uh, I guess they were they were supposed to go on sale today. So, um, you know, that's going to be interesting because they're, they're going to set the trend, aren't they, I think, for a big show outing. What they do and how successful it is is, is going to be interesting. And kind of the thing we talked about, last show about how much is live and how much is recorded when you have 
partial capacity in the stadium. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder, I was, I was sort of kicking this around today. I wonder whether the postponement to, to put it on sale today is honestly, and, and this is pure speculation on my part, is trying to maximize the attendance in the stadium. And I wonder if that's, you know, whether they've had some sort of spatial engineer go, if you sell every third seat, you can get 20,000 people in, but if you sell pods, you can get 30,000 people in. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I wonder if that's been part of the uh, the thought today. And withholding pods to see if things get relaxed even more, because they're in Florida, you know, can they release another block if protocol changes? Yeah, that's an excellent point. It's crazy to think it's three weeks out and the tickets, I mean, I mean obviously for good reason, the tickets aren't on sale yet. Right. F- funny Harrington story again for a, a, an adjunct indulgence. I, I championed this one. I went to WrestleMania 35, as we've discussed already. The tickets for that went on sale in November of, uh, I guess, 2018. It was November 2018. I should, should know this because the story will be about my daughter's birthday. So that's shameful, isn't it? <laughs> I bought the tickets for WrestleMania 35 while my wife was in labor at the side of the hospital bed. So get in. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a story for one. Uh... For like an 18th birthday. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing, Dad, when I was born? I was buying WrestleMania tickets. <laughs> Just make sure you play up that it was like one of the really good ones. Yeah, right, right. It was the best they've ever been. There was 400,000. It, the, <laughs> it was the capacity, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we teased. Uh, obviously, we talked to the last episode, didn't we, about the exploding barbed wire deathmatch at AEW and... We've also mm-hmm. kicked around a lot of discussion around indie talent and indie wrestlers, and uh, we thought we'd do a dive into some of that extreme wrestling, some of the uh, the moments, the ideas, the rationale, the standout talent, so on and so forth. So uh, mm-hmm. what do you say? Why don't we uh, dive down that rabbit hole and uh, hit the interstate for deathmatch wrestling? Oh yeah, let's get into it. We keep biting off these big meaty topics, don't we? Which, uh, which I think is great for a conversation in wrestling, and I think it explores who we are as fans of wrestling, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But deathmatch, extreme, hardcore wrestling—it's something I think we identified in the last episode. I, I expressed to an element; it's a bit squeamish for me. And in preparation for this, uh, certainly after our last episode, where uh, you held the side up, Josh, uh, I've got show notes tonight as well. <laughs> I think we both have watched a hell of a lot of extreme deathmatch hardcore wrestling over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Let's start kind of in a in, in a big broad place. Why does it exist? Given the nature of what wrestling is, I'm I'm curious is what your take is as a fan. Given what wrestling is, the suspension of disbelief, the suspension of belief, however we want to think about it. Why why do you think it exists? Yeah, that's a great question. And I want to say too, like you mentioned we've watched a ton in the past couple weeks i've been watching more over the summer but by no means do i think that i'm any type of like deathmatch expert so if you're listening to this and we're missing something you have recommendations whatever please feel free to let us know there's something we both kind of dove headfirst into uh in the recent past yeah i think it's probably just um kind of that push for something new and something kind of more we've used the term before more primal right what else can we do with next i think another big thing is and watching a lot of kind of barbed wire matches in the past couple weeks just the increased tension of when everybody gets near the barbed wire ropes 
the whole crowd is like edge of their seat waiting for it. So they're really compelling matches too, with so many different ways that you can kind of tell that story and do something. So I think that's a big part of it. That's a great point. It it's layering in to the story, isn't it? The um plunder from under the ring. Mm-hmm. I know you have been doing sort of a larger and broader uh, expose to it. I was definitely sort of trying to jump around a lot of things and for a for a quick shout out, the 10 bucks a month for IWTV is one of the best $10 you can spend for the promotions, uh absolutely. the different shows. Well, well worth if you're a wrestling fan jumping around some of that stuff because the the showcase of talent that is there again, 10, ten bucks a month, couple Starbucks coffees. You've got you know 50 different promotions from around the world. Uh, shameless plug aside, <laughs> <laughs> not that we're cashing in on this, right? <laughs> but feel free to call us, <laughs> maybe a first, uh, a first sponsor. <laughs> is the extent to which some of these wrestlers, some of these talent, are just willing to put themselves on the line again? As wrestling fans, one of the biggest pushbacks, isn't it, is you know, you know, wrestling is fake. Well, no, wrestling is not fake. The actions are real. The the competition is real. The injuries are real when they happen. Right. We'll talk a little bit about some of those injuries. We mentioned the G Raver one uh, last show, which was significant. That shit is real. That shit is very real. Yeah. And you know, the the guys and gals on the indies aren't aren't making massive money per show, are they? Yet yeah, they're diving headfirst through. Plate glass, light tubes, doors, boards, barbed wire—you you name it—and uh, yeah, it, it really is a testament to what wrestling means. Is is was my takeaway from sort of absorbing all that? I don't know where you feel about it. Yeah, as far as just it kind of sets you apart and kind of gets your name out there a little bit more, and you're kind of like you said, you're doing it for, I guess, this kind of love of it, right? It's something that is pretty specialized, and it's funny, John Moxley when he did a table for three as Dean Ambrose, they were talking about how in CCW it was kind of a, yeah, this is my rate. Uh, I'll go for a table for an additional X amount. And I'll go through a flaming table for this much more. So it also becomes kind of a selling point to some extent of what you can do. I don't know if that's still the case. But the other thing that I've heard from a couple people, I think Jimmy Havoc maybe at one point was talking about it. Um, but also I heard, I think Ultramantis Black also talked about you can kind of extend your career in a way doing those matches because it's more about the the show of these big like a plate glass window is going to get a bigger reaction than somebody doing a 630 leg drop and ruining their back for the rest of their lives so to some degree like yeah you're breathing in the poison gas from the from the light tubes and everything but you're not putting yourself through some of the same beatings as some of these kind of more acrobatic matches you might see that's a real interesting um concept isn't it it's sort of the, the lesser of all evils here then that that's not the right way to say it at all but sort of right that's really interesting yeah and like i said it's just the two that i kind of heard talk about it so i don't know if they're outliers or if that's something kind of commonly thought of i mean there certainly seems to be a a strong leaning towards it there's some some of the big names on you know whether it's wwe talent AEW talent some of the big names have all forayed into doing extreme matches or death matches or or, or whatever mm-hmm. i i was looking at a match that was um uh actually watched a couple matches uh that was john silver of dark order fame right now in czw stuff mm-hmm. uh and one match was actually john silver versus alex reynolds where they were just you know smashing each other with boards plates yeah yeah and czw was wild for a while i'm not real up on czw right now but they had those types of kind of extreme hardcore matches but they also had guys like 
Silver and Drew Gulak and some more kind of technical guys where I think Jonathan Gresham was there for a while. You kind of got this like widespread of different styles and every so often they would like hold in on themselves and you get that type of kind of more brutal version of a match you wouldn't necessarily expect in another promotion. Right. That and similar endeavor down that, that path over the last couple of weeks, checking more of it out was just interesting seeing those guys in different lights. So I was watching something this afternoon that was an ICW match, mm-hmm. the the Scottish promotion, that was Drew McIntyre versus Jack Jester from a, from a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. And it was a barbed wire ring. It was barbed wire weapons. Uh, interestingly enough, Jack Jester juiced like a fucking bleeding tomato. <laughs> and and I think Drew walked out unscathed. So I'm not quite sure what was going on there. Maybe, maybe he was headed back to the E at that point. So he couldn't go in with blemishes and bruises. But um, <laughs> could be, yeah. It, it was a good match, and it, it, exactly one of the spots in that match was what you just described so well. Was Drew was about to hit the ropes and run the ropes, and you know so, stopped himself because he realized it was covered in barbed wire, and the crowd was going nuts for it because he was about to impale himself. And yeah, the excitement and anticipation attached to that was just—it really elevated the match in different ways. You know, yeah, and the fact that there's that moment in every one of those matches like that—that that luster doesn't go away, even if you've seen it a few times. You're just waiting to see who's going to be the first guy to go into those ropes. Right. Waiting to see which guy is going <laughs> to split open like a potato first, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it was it was interesting because, you know, I think looking back across the journey of wrestling, looking back to some of the uh, the golden classic days, so-called, of the WWF and thinking about matches, say, like Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior that we talked about in our first episode, where essentially there's little to no wrestling in that match, right? Yeah. But the story is massive because it's the psychology, it's the standoff, it's the, the two powerhouses strutting poses against each other. Right, yeah. Then you've got matches that might be, say, like a, a Daniel Bryan or a Bret Hart type thing where it's super technical and it's all decided in the middle of the mat and in the middle of the ring. Mm-hmm. And that's a very different flavor of wrestling again. There's, there's something super compelling about deathmatch, hardcore, extreme wrestling because you factor in all of these additional variables uh, I don't know if it's, I, I, I don't mean to say it with any disrespect at all or any offense, but adding these props, adding these additional, adding these additional variables, and it really does push your suspension of disbelief, suspension of belief to the absolute nth degree, because sure. again, as we'll talk about, as we maybe highlight some matches and highlight some injuries or highlight some outcomes, the, the impacts are extremely real, aren't they? Yeah. And every so often something comes out and you're like, oh, I wouldn't want to be in the same room as that thing, much less in the ring with it. <laughs> right? The first time I saw the, the cans cut in half and glued to a piece of plywood in a show, I'm like, I can't even imagine getting dumped on that. And that's like a, that's a pretty mild pretty mild piece compared to some other things that I know have been in matches. It's kind of the creativity of how do we make this seem incredibly vicious but not ruin this guy's life? Do you have a sense of kind of the first extreme moment you saw in wrestling thinking back through your fandom? It had to be something in ECW uh, in probably the late 90s. Um, I mean, I guess I also saw the kind of WWE version hardcore matches, which weren't quite as extreme, kind of understandably. They had, you know, bigger TV contracts to abide by. But yeah, I think ECW is probably it, kind of the weird weekly show that you would catch if you happened to be up late enough at the right night i remember not really remembering or not really knowing what night ecw was on because i was in that weird like 1 a.m time slot and i had no concept of what night it was and i think that's really where like when i think most of my experience with that type of wrestling it's mostly 
that type of ECW show. I do recall there always being like the chair shots, which obviously in later years got modified because of the yeah, you know the 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 head trauma. That was always a staple in wrestling, wasn't it? it? Was whipping out the chair from under the ring and cracking somebody with it. Right. You highlight well the big TV shows, which typically. Uh, to my exposure was the WWF uh, as we acknowledged previously I missed a lot of the WCW in real time they were abiding by you know network cable television contracts so it wasn't getting too too crazy was it the one standout moment maybe on sort of the broader in inverted commas bigger shows is that Hell in a Cell match with Taker and Mick Foley absolutely yeah which I don't think was by design. Well, I think Mick Foley, and I'm sure we'll talk about Mick Foley being a crazy bastard in his, <laughs> his death match uh, history, his extreme history. I don't think the match by design was supposed to be that intense, but Foley was on a mission, wasn't he? Yeah, that first, I mean, the first one off the top through the table was planned, but then the choke, choke slam through the top of the cage, they always say, was just a failure of the cage. And that's where his, t- his teeth ended up in his nose from the second drop, right? Yeah, and he talks about he looks like he's smiling, but he's just trying to push his tongue through the hole in his lip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that one's like such a, it's like a part of pop culture at this point. Like, there's so many people who, who know that. They've played the clip on Conan when McFoley's been on there. So there's a lot of people with exposure to that specific moment in what was a pretty extreme, I mean, still is a pretty extreme part of that show. It's vicious to watch it back in some regards. One, knowing that maybe the big TV product was supposed to be a bit tamer, it was it was a PG audience or a PG thirteen audience, so it was it was startling to watch in that regard. It's also startling to watch back and know that even after the first toss off the top of the cage, Mick is concussed. He's out cold. Like you'd be you'd be throwing the X's up at this point in modern wrestling, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, yeah, and that's something I've also kind of learned as I've like done a little bit more looking into this. That's a pretty common thing for something to go pretty wrong and to work a whole bunch more of that match like the the g-raver thing that we keep talking about that's one where it goes like i said to you the other day really south really fast mm. if it had just been a little bit not as bad i wouldn't be surprised if he just tried to like hold that close and have the actual finish of the match even in his amateur days right kurt angle finished with a broken neck with a broken freaking neck if we're gonna be, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be accurate about it <laughs> So I, I think that the Hell in a Cell is probably like, to my mainstream mind, again, acknowledging there was lots going on with ECW and sort of in the indies adjunct to that, that I, I certainly, unfortunately, wasn't catching in real time. But, but you're right, it's, it's instantly recognizable. We, we, should, we should acknowledge as well, the Jim Ross quotes are a dime a dozen from that match, aren't they? You know, the by God, he's broken in half and, and so on. Yeah. I mean, it's just that match will live in uh nostalgia and notoriety i think it's fair to say absolutely and they tr- how many times have they tried to recreate somebody coming off the cage like that to where it's almost become a trope of like a cage match or a cell match and it never has the same impact as that first right shane mcmahon is trying to make a living off of it isn't he a hundred percent from there obviously through you being a fan you you obviously you uh you caught ecw ECW, much like WCW, lived in a periphery for me for quite some time, and I never really caught it, though names like Terry Funk, Sandman, Sabu, obviously were, were massive names. There's there's some real big standout talent, especially from the ECW camp, right. isn't he? I think Sabu had a significant exploding barbed wire ring match, correct? Uh, if it's the same one I'm thinking of, it was just barbed wire with Terry Funk. Just barbed wire. As if that's not its own... <laughs> 
its own kind of spectacle, <laughs> right. right? Just barbed wire. Oh, okay, that's all right. <laughs> whoa, 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 let's let's not get crazy. It's just barbed wire in that one. <laughs> do you do you recall some of the the, the big names or are the names that stood out as incredible talents through through the history of of it? Uh, you know, as far as ECW goes, I don't know how much of it is from what I remember at the time versus kind of what I've watched in the twenty years since I kind of first started watching it the obvious ones that come up like you said as far as they go terry funk tommy dreamer sandman raven rvd Sabu, like the name in kind of early 2000s american hardcore wrestling what's the uh, i think it's tommy dreamer right the significant um kendo stick spot where he's taking whips to the back and they were emulating the kid in singapore mm. And Dreamer just kept taking straps to the back with this kendo stick. And I think I think it was Sandman, right? Singapore game, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dreamer just wouldn't stay down for. You know, there's clips of him going, please, sir, can I have one more whap? Yeah, another one. And his back was sliced and diced. I mean, that was that was graphic as well. And that's... Uh... Yeah, and uh, there's also the uh, night with Raven, where he had... Where the crucified with the... Kane shots and everything too, and uh, Kurt Angle's backstage and storms out because they're doing this blasphemous angle. So, like, really pushing the boundaries with both violence and kind of what isn't isn't acceptable in a wrestling ring. Which then you fast forward a couple years, and there's the um, promo "Age of the Fall" in ROH, where they hoist up. I think it's one of the Briscoes, and um, Austin Aries is there in the white suit with the blood pouring down from the guy hung above him. So as he's cutting this promo, his white suit is just turning red from this guy's blood. That being kind of like a natural progression from those things happening in ECW the 90s and kind of showing how influential all that stuff was throughout the early 2000s. There's a good documentary on the on the network. Uh, and I say good documentary, it's because it's kind of a good one-stop shop for the history of ECW that, again, where I missed a lot of it in, in real time, mm-hmm. I, I went back and looked at it. I'd watched it once a few years ago, went back and, and looked at it again for the for the spirit of this conversation. And the uh, the ECW documentary just goes into the company as a whole and the history, etc. One of the things that really stood out in that for me was Terry Funk and a lot of what he was doing, talking about big names, he was agreeing to to try and put newer talent over. You know, you think about some of this dynamic of the big guys were trying to keep their spot and jockeying for spots and not wanting to put the younger, newer guy over. Terry Funk was doing a lot of these spots and doing a lot of these matches deliberately and with purposeful intent to put the new guy uh, over. And and that was really... Um, awesome in every sense of the word yeah and having some just really incredible matches i i immediately think of uh with that idea with chris candido where they're both out there in the same tights and it's just this kind of like this visual symbol of exactly what you're saying right that this is kind of maybe not a passing of the torch but kind of a show of there's some respect here begrudgingly yeah much like mick foley again because i think if you're talking about extreme wrestling if you're talking about hardcore wrestling these are these are some of the names that paved the way, at least on on US soil, right? And mm-hmm. e- even the matches directly between Terry Funk and Mick Foley were some of the best matches of that ilk of that nature you could possibly watch even today. Another shameless uh, shout out: the pro wrestling tees, the pro wrestling great. I, I get that, and it, it can be a little hit and miss sometimes. But when it's good, it's great. Uh, and one of the recent boxes was 
uh, you know, Cody Rhodes t-shirt. There was uh, an Okada t-shirt in there. The micro brawler was an Owen Hart micro brawler. Oh, wow. Uh, The DVD was just a selection of death matches, which just so happened to be very opportune for for show research, folks. (laughs) They were showcasing some of that on that DVD, just Foley's career, Terry Funk. Mick Foley was posting on social media the other day. It was the anniversary of getting his ear bitten off or his ear torn off or whatever happened, you know. Yeah. Gets thrown over, gets his head caught in the ropes, and they're a little bit too tight. Instead of strangling him, just pops his ear off. That's right, right. You know, just uh, I was skipping ahead prematurely. You had posted a link to your Twitter feed, one of the old FMW exploding barbed wire matches. Uh, mm-hmm. Chat me up a bit on that because that was, I had never seen that before. And it, I don't know a lot about FMW, to be honest with you. Yeah, so that's one that I'm just kind of starting to explore too. That's very much like that's another great piece of watching wrestling in the 21st century is that's all stuff that's kind of when I was younger, kind of this mythologized tape trading of, oh, I know a guy who knows a guy who has this FMW show that you can get. So just having access to that a little bit more, I've been able to dig into it. And here's your ECW connection. Uh, Mike Awesome from ECW, putting in time in FMW as the gladiator. But yeah, it's stuff I've just kind of been digging into recently, kind of working my way backwards from the more recent stuff on IWTV. And just trying to catch some of the, honestly, some of the stuff that's the most attention grabbing as kind of jumping in. Because uh, there are some full shows up on YouTube. So at some point, I have to set aside some time to go through a full show and really kind of get up to speed on my FMW. It was interesting watching that match that you had shared alongside ultimately the, the Revolution show. Mm-hmm. And again, that's the second time I've, perhaps even third time, I've danced around that and we'll. Uh, We'll pause that for a moment, <laughs> but but it was interesting watching it aside. I loved the gimmick of the ref being in the bomb in the bomb suit, yeah, and and he's in like nuclear like explosion gear, isn't he? <laughs> the effects were there, given how early that show was. I mean, it's I think it was in the nineties, right? Is is what it was date stamped? Yeah, the effects were all there. It it was it was quite amazing to watch, actually. Yeah, and there's another one with uh, Hayabusa that there's some of that also, some of those other great touches of. You have these great opportunities for like next level heroism in these matches of, oh my god, the ring's about to explode. Oh, he's trying to save somebody else in the ring by diving on him, which again, we'll come back to. <laughs> but you see that in both of those matches. And it's really funny, that match really does kind of become, from what I've seen of him, kind of a love letter to those types of matches. There's so many things that you pick out when you're like, oh, I, I know what match that's referencing, and I'm not even like super well-versed in the matches you had shared that tip with me or had shared that invite with me to sort of uh, again for the fourth or fifth time to dance around revolution <laughs> to basically do a spot the difference or not spot the difference frankly of that onita match uh, the onita terry funk match that you'd you'd posted the link to incredible stuff so what what have you been digging through i mean what have you been uh, whether it be sort of more recent more more past what's been stuff that stood out for you and have just been incredible matches uh, who are folks that are just really driving the limit at the moment for you right now there's a handful of names that keep popping up on every show and here's time for me to make a correction from the last time two guys that i see on a lot of shows right now schlack who shows up on everything and long history on him some pretty unsavory characters that he's associated with downplaying the fact that they're like literally well-known neo-nazis in atlantic city but he's the one who does the thing with the plastic bag over the head not casanova valentine so i realized that listening back but casanova valentine is another one that my understanding is he was kind of at the forefront of those no ring shows he actually he works at other half in new york so he's a beer guy 
and he there's all these hoops you have to jump through to run a wrestling show in new york like work with the commission and licenses and everything else but he discovered if according to him uh if you run it instead as an art show and there's a performance art aspect that just so happens to be a wrestling match you can kind of find the loopholes and not have to go through all those other things so all those uh like no peace underground just recently running their first show with a ring a lot of that no ring type of show goes back to that type of work well they have to do a beer festival don't they where they sort of build in some some wrestling as well just as a digression for a moment i don't know is it the green city festival or something like that where they get a bunch of like international brewers come and then they put on kind of an indie wrestling show for the afternoon of it as well it's kind of neat yeah and that's that's the crossover it's because a guy who loads it out that back door there also happens to be a big name in uh deathmatch the one i i always like seeing on those shows is dom garini who's uh like an mma guy and has like actual bona fides as a fighter and he's showing up on these deathmatch shows kind of going back to what you're talking about with this mixed bag you can get so he's always fun to see come out on those shows tag team with uh tags with kevin koo is uh violence is forever pop up on mlw but he's always fun to see too i think who else really stands out on those shows i mean eric ryan is always fun just because he like stops to smoke a cigarette halfway through the match like he can't actually be bothered to like put anything into it <laughs> john wayne murdoch puts on fun shows on there you can tell that most of what i'm watching is on iwtv because uh, i'm not pulling a lot of the kind of gcw specific names these are a lot more like the icw names not that there's not a ton of crossover but i know that there's definitely a kind of blind spot on that as far as them. who's kind of jumped out to you you've started to venture into this yeah as, as as i've been delving i came to the conclusion that a guy by the name of mance warner Ooh, is yeah. a crazy bastard yeah yep. <laughs> <laughs> i i um i i found a cage of death i think it's cage of death 20 event okay. at czw that was um ricky shane page defending the championship uh, against challenger mance warner and that was that was incredible that was um astounding it, it really sort of set the bar of kind of where i dove around and stuff i started to take in and watch because it's cage and there's just contraptions all around this uh, ring and to sort of chat through it for a second sure there's like this platform built across the top of it this plate glass on each side there's barbed wire in there and just straight off to the races ricky shane page is is cut open and bleeding like a pig they're driving each other through the glass tables and, you know, not to give uh, give spoilers away if people want to see this, but the finish was a table with a table stacked on it with barbed wire that then Ricky Shane Page and Mance Warner somehow managed to make the way up to the top of the ring, out of the cage and up onto the top of the ring, onto this contraption. That scaffold. Yeah, onto the scaffold, yeah. Which they end up then... Mance Warner ends up driving Ricky Shane Page through the scaffold, through the barbed wire, through the tailor table, and, and into the mat. And you were just, holy fuck, doesn't do the justice, you know? Yeah, yeah. And again, that another great example of that tension we keep talking about of like, okay, they're both up there, and it really is anyone's game on who's like, they're both going through the tables right now, but who's taking the brunt of it? Right. To the context of what we started to say at the beginning, this is clearly some hall somewhere because by the time they're up on the ring they're lucky that they're not getting kind of a sunburn off of the lights in the in the, the top of the ceiling yeah you know there's a maybe a couple hundred people in the show and that's the kind of spots they're doing they're either maniacs or it's amazing or both <laughs> yeah well and so when i think of 
a similar one. There's I don't even know how many years ago now, but Zandig in CCW. If you haven't seen Zandig's Jesus promo, oh, it's the all-time best. <laughs> There's somebody right now listening is going, "Oh ma, it's the best thing." <laughs> but he has with Joy Janella before he was originally known comes off a building and Michinoku driver into the flatbed of a truck. And I was just like, oh my God, why would you do that? Who's who's taking that? Why would you ever blah blah blah? And now he's on TV every week and in his third or fourth year running a show media weekend. So I think there's also like a little bit of infamy to it that you might get booked somewhere else and might get a bigger payday once you kind of make your name known like that. Yeah. One of the it's it's not a more recent thing, but I tell you a match that I've watched often and frequently because it's incredible, which isn't so much a, a spotlight of a talent per se, or, or it, it will be, but it, it's the match is a PWG Guerrilla Warfare match. I can see you nodding, so I think you're going to get a <laughs> sense of where I'm going to go with this. And it's from 2014, and it's the Bucks versus Joey Ryan and Candice LeRae, and that is just an incredible match. And I tell you, there's some talent in the ring in that match, isn't there? Oh yeah, Candice LeRae is just the standout in that front to back. She's phenomenal. Talk about cringeworthy, as you said at the beginning. There's a couple spots, isn't there, where you know the, the inevitable thumbtacks get emptied out into the mat, onto the ring. Yeah. There's a point where they stuff, where the books stuff thumbtacks into, uh, I think Candice, in, into both Candice LeRae and Joey Ryan's face. Joey Ryan takes a super kick as he's knelt down. And, and deserves it. <laughs> and deserves <laughs> it. Uh, Candice LeRae takes a super kick, stood up. Yeah. You know, I, I forget whether it's Nick or Matt sort of put on, I think it's Matt put on the boot that's got the thumbtacks. Yeah, that's right. And that's the super kick she takes, isn't it, to, to correct myself. Yeah. You know, the, the finish is she, she puts a load of thumbtacks down Matt's pants and drives him into the mat and pins him. She, she just... She hits the home run left, right, and center in that match. Oh, yeah. And I love the uh, variations of those. Because now you got guys bringing out bags of Legos or whatever else. That's the one I saw rec- <laughs> or a little while ago that, that really got me. And like beyond running promotions where it's for every oh, 10 tickets we sell, we add another thousand thumbtacks to this match or whatever. And you end up with like the 100,000 thumbtack match for their New Year's show. We should run a poll on social media. What would people prefer uh, less to stand on, a thumbtack or a Lego? And I bet people prefer thumbtacks every day. Legos hurt <laughs> like a son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, 100%. Again, I, I did a little bit of digging around. Uh, I, I went back and watched like GCW show in full, the two-cup stuff that we've talked about several times now with the uh, six-person ladder match, I think it is, for the contract to you know, go to spring break for, I think it is what it should have been. And then obviously it impacts and how that all didn't happen. Yep. But looking back at that light tube spot with G Raver, I hadn't actually registered to just go off on a tangent for a moment. Logan stunt is in that match who just gets thrown around the ring like a rag doll as, <laughs> as do the stunt brothers. And they're amazing for that reason. They're, uh, they're great. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that match just was full of crazy shit, even up until the point that, G-Raver uh, came down funny. Uh, yeah. you, you watch the spot back and not to completely dissect it, but he just doesn't get his arm out of the way as he goes over, does he? And, and, he, and he runs straight out back and is off in an ambulance, isn't he? Yeah, that's just a freak thing of not moving his arm and the light tube moving in a certain way to catch him just right to make that happen. Right. But I went back and looked at other pieces of G-Raver's matches, uh, other matches that G-Raver had been in, and he's just another dude that's putting it 
all out on the line, isn't he? He's leaving it all out on the table. I mean, uh, oh yeah, to try and construct the following sentence in the most appropriate way. It's shocking to see, you know, what happened with the light tubes. Yet almost inevitable with some of these stunts, uh, some of these spots, you know. Yeah, and I'm amazed that you don't see, like you said, with like plate glass, unless that's like sugar glass, and we're all falling for it. That's wild for people to go through multiple sheets of that in a show, and then you know, doing like light tube log cabins, or I watched a No Peace Underground Anku show. They had a five pointed star made out of light tubes that people are getting dumped on. The staple gun stuff makes me cringe. Oh, yeah. I, I was watching several things, and it was a John Silver match as well, and, and now it completely evades me who he was he was up against. But the two of them were going around the crowd taking dollar bills and just staple gunning them to each other's forehead, each other's chest at one point, so that the commentator was like, oh, John John Silver's got pasties now because he's got a couple dollar bills, you know, stapled to his nipples. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely like, those those staples, much like thumbtacks are really, aren't they? Those, those staples are going in a good quarter inch. Oh, yeah. And I just read, because I was looking at some kind of wild match styles, and there was one where the stipulation was you had to staple X amount of dollars to your opponent. And I'm sure it was some, like, build-up where one of them owed the other. But that being the stipulation of, okay, you have to staple six bills to them. I would think that the the shower afterwards is just as bad, if not worse, as the match itself, right? <laughs> Looks like the rivers of the evil dead. Yeah. <laughs> what other matches have you been have you been catching? If uh, if folks are looking for tips to to sort of if they finish listening to episode three and want to jump off and catch a death match or a barbed wire match uh, what's your go-to to say watch this yeah i think any of those shows again on iwtv have a great variety of stuff you see the same people so you start to kind of know what to expect because it's not a huge pool of guys going out and doing this right the next one i, I want to really dive into that's going on right now and i mentioned this i think last time too is zona 23 which is the one in mexico where it takes place in the middle of like a junkyard Someone from there, and her name escapes me, is doing a show, WrestleMania weekend. And I saw a clip of her today powerbombing her opponent from the uh, top of a car through the back window. And they have to open the back door to pull her opponent back out to work the rest of the 15 minutes of the match. Like, Jesus. Yeah. And that's the same promotion I told you the, um, the fan was getting annoying. So the guy came out and smashed a light tube over the fan's head. <laughs> so like wild west of uh, deathmatch. The true interactive experience. Yeah, right? Yeah, the, there's the other one I told you that's an old show from Born to be Wired 97. And this one, I think my friend Pat would watch some of this with me. And this was one that I remember him being like, really, him having some trouble watching. That's the Sabu Terry Funk, uh, no ropes, barbed match. Sabu gets his arm sliced open. And this is what I was thinking of earlier. Fonzie goes back and grabs the athletic tape so he can tape his arm up to finish the match. And Joy Styles out there talking about, like, he's going to need 50 stitches. That's always, like, a classic go-to barbed match. And then the other one I told you, Bad Breed Taipei Deathmatch from Hardcore Heaven 95, where in one of them, something, I think it's, I think Pat got me a, di- a DVD of old ECW matches. But the way Paul Heyman describes it is, you wrap your tapes in fist, you 
dunk them in a bucket of glue, then dump them in a bucket of glass, and then beat the hell out of each other. <laughs> like that's so like them taking the pieces of glass off of the tape to like dig it into the opponent's head, and that's another one that's like kind of timeless. It's, it's interesting because uh, what I pondered and to highlight for the third time my uh, squeamish, you know. I don't mean to be a complete wet blanket, but some of it is definitely cringeworthy, squeamish, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> that you're definitely then, your jaw is hitting the deck, aren't you? In awe of what's what's going on. Yeah. To segue for a moment, uh, you and I have kicked around a couple times as well, where this sort of, holy fuck, what is he doing? What are they doing? Feelings spilled out of my head. Was watching the David Arquette documentary recently. Yeah, you had mentioned that. Yeah, you cannot kill David Arquette and again not to be a a complete uh spoiler or ruiner for folks that are checking it out but it is a documentary on david arquette's indie career out of the genesis of the wcw exposure that he had in the in the early 2000s and in the the visceral fan reaction he got from that spot Uh, and he touts himself as being this diehard hardcore in all senses of the word wrestling fan and he's off on this journey to just it feels in some regards and said with respect to prove a point now and he's going to these like outdoor backyard backyard promotions yeah and wrestling you know he's he's like getting changed in somebody's bathroom and going through a curtain that bridges you know the porta party in the back door yeah and just getting split open and it goes into detail about his ill health and i think he's had stints or uh, stents i should say or uh, heart problems and stuff and he just is going berserk yeah i haven't checked that out yet you recommended it to me before and i just haven't i think it's streaming on hulu right now and that might be that might be ccw because i know their big show is in was it dj hyde's mom's backyard every year because that's the one place they know they're not going to get in trouble for pushing the limits the, the ring is essentially built on, you know, apple crates and not so much boards and <laughs> things of that yeah, nature. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a really great short, if it's the same show, there's a really great short, maybe half-hour documentary from Bites from a few years ago, where Damien from the band Fucked Up goes and checks it out. And they go into some of the type of stuff, like the, the gusset plates that they use, which are just like the metal plates with the spikes in them. And I remember my brother Matt talking about it, and when they take it off, sounding like Velcro <gasps> as they're pulling this out of a guy's head. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 brutal. But David Arquette going and working those same types of shows at the very least. Yeah, I mean it's well worth a watch, and I suspect yeah. it, it, if you're a wrestling fan, if you haven't already seen it, which is you're saying, you will see it because it's. I can't describe it any other way. He's got a point to prove. And it sort of became the theme for me. I was just thinking about extreme hardcore deathmatch wrestling. Is there will be nothing left on the table? Nick Gage has talked about like if I doing this, if I die doing this, and I die doing this, which he did once already. But there's kind of this mentality among them, like this is what I love and this is what I do, and if that's what happens, because I'm putting on a good show, then that's what happens. There's a mindset to that, isn't there? Yeah, you know, good old Hulk Hogan, the Hulk himself, uh, his impervious to pain stunt uh, <laughs> <laughs> looks nothing next to this, does it? I'm being silly, of course, but. Um... <laughs> Well, well worth te- checking out. You cannot kill David Arquette because uh, yeah, it, it seems as well that he's he's making a name. I mean, he's he's getting some credibility for what he's doing out on the Indies. You know, yeah, I don't remember who, but I definitely remember his name being out for a match he had. I think during Mania season last year, and getting talked up as being like not just like this 
gimmicky kind of well, I mean, what he was viewed as when he was WCW champion, right? Like, so much trying to get in for more exposure, but it's like, oh, this is actually a solid match. It was interesting looking back through that as well, something that I didn't know, again, acknowledging WCW lived on a periphery for me. It wasn't something he wanted, was it? He was there to promote one of the Scream movies, yeah. and Bischoff kind of forced his hand and he he recognized it's Russo too. Yeah, right. He recognized the sacredness of wrestling and the sacredness that wrestling fans hold dear. Yeah. And and Bishop kind of forced it on him, which again I think to be unable to say it a different way, he he's really seemed like he's got a got a point to prove. And I think he donated all the money that he made off of it. I wanna say to Owen Hart's family, but that might be wrong. But I think he donated the money he made off of it to wrestlers in need in some way. Touching back and, and acknowledging WCW in the vein of sort of the biggies, loosely put, mm-hmm. we teased a few minutes, several times rather, about mm-hmm. this recent Revolution pay-per-view. Obviously, not to dissect or, you know, we're not necessarily doing a full card review, but let's talk about that barbed wire match from Revolution because, one, it is the most recent biggie display of a match of this nature. Right. I, I think the points to discuss, aren't they, are, how well does mainstream television, if we want to call it that, granted it was a pay-per-view, mm-hmm. how well can mainstream television really do matches of this nature? I think for me, having seen the previous Mox Kenny match that we talked about before that stirred up the Baltimore, Maryland Sports Commission, they got in trouble for, they were cited. Yeah. How well did this translate? Because there's a austerity, isn't it? Because of the FMW stuff, there's an austerity to these exploding barbed wire matches. What did you make of it? Yeah, I thought it went about as well as it could have, given that's the first, like you said, big exposure to that type of match to a lot of people. The barbed wire looked convincing. feel like I saw it kind of pulling on people's gear like it does in some of those uh, like holy funk matches or that Sabu match. The explosions looked like every other explosion uh, in one of those matches, with some obvious exceptions. <laughs> but I think, I think you can definitely see kind of where it was coming from by the way they did it. And I thought it was a pretty effective version of it for the most part. The match itself was good as well, wasn't it? Like Kenny and Mox can go with each other. They, they've got the chemistry. It works in the ring. Oh, yeah. I, I was trying to think back. Is this the rubber match? I, I, they've fought each other a good number of times now. They run well together, don't they? Yeah, for sure. For me, I didn't really know what to expect. I had no real precedent. I mean, again, acknowledging you had sort of recommended some clips and we'd looked at some stuff together and talked about some stuff together, Mm -hmm. but I had no real precedent. I I tell you, and my intent is not to be a killjoy or shit on anything for that matter, but let's be objective for a moment. Right. It was funny talking about cinematic matches in the last episode Yeah. and thinking about what the prospect could be now. Let's acknowledge nobody for a second was going to get actually blown up in the ring because you kill the story dead in the water there. So we, right. we can all acknowledge yeah. that, right? Right, yeah. But I thought the fireworks, no pun intended, pun intended, <laughs> in light of licensing some of these cinematic advantages, Yeah, I thought it would have looked a bit more Hollywood by the end of it, honestly. Yeah, especially when, if you look at those, that Funko Nina match, at the end, some of those shots, it looks like something that, like, all quiet on the Western Front, right? It looks like a World War One movie with the barbed wire and the smoke and the size of the explosion. So, yeah, I, I agree. And you know, they're not Tony Khan is not shy on spending money on pyro. 
Right. He does like his fireworks. Yeah, that's a good point. He does, yeah. <laughs> the smoke, the, the dry ice, whatever it is, whatever it might be, is a, is a good example. And looking at that Onida Funk match, that was something that visually sold for me. You just encapsulated it really well. Something would go off and there was all the smoke. You know, it'd be like, you know, the intro to a poison show. Brett Michaels, you know, being, still being stood there 20 minutes later after the smoke clear sort of thing. <laughs> Where was some of that element? Yeah. I, I kind of expected to see, again, nobody was going to get blown up in the ring. It would have killed the story dead in the water. That's my feeling. That's that's what I'm going to stand by. But loads more dry ice, loads more smoke. Mox and Kenny in the ring not being able to see each other because it was just like floods of smoke because it had just smoldered and stuff. Right. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I don't think anything was subtracted, but I think they missed elements of great opportunity yeah and especially like we said there's so many points throughout it where you know what they're drawing from and then to not have that same kind of level of ending from 25 years ago i did get a kick out of the proceeding dynamite with the eddie kingston john moxley who are now bff drinking buddies yeah (laughs) i think we've said it before and maybe it'll just have to be a, a a stock statement for every episode Please give Eddie Kingston the mic at all costs, all of the time. <laughs> a thousand percent. Yeah. So there's this uh, this comedian, Chris Gethard. I'm amazed it's taken three episodes for me to mention Gethard. He had a public access show in New York City for like 214 episodes, and then he was on two different networks, and it was a call-in show, and it's one of my favorite things. Actually, when we went to that Beyond show, I was wearing that Lose Well hat, and that's a Chris Gethard thing. Um, and somebody who was a fan of his show spotted me there and posted in the Facebook group. I was like, oh, that was me. You should have said hi. But one night he was like, yeah, we don't have a topic. So just call in whoever the first caller is. That's the topic. And the guy calls. And he's like, yeah, you guys want to talk about wrestling? And Geth is a huge wrestling fan. He does the after show for Dark Side of the Ring on voice. So they did that whole night. And then another night, I think it was related to that because he also had Tito Santana on. But at one point he has Eddie Kingston on in like 2016. And somebody's like, you're one of the best promos in the business. Could you, could you do that on anything? He's like, yeah, I guess. Like, what would you want me to do? And they have him cut a promo on a guy at the deli who made his sandwich wrong. And it's <laughs> pitch perfect. Like, it's all the key things that you expect from a Kingston promo. And at the end, they're like, you're going to straight up murder that guy at the deli, aren't you? Like, they all, it's a perfect Kingston pro, uh, promo about such a ridiculous thing. So that alone is exactly what you're saying. Like, you can read a telephone book, or you can threaten a guy who made your sandwich wrong. If you as a wrestling fan, if, if anybody listening to this, or anybody that watched Revolution had any issues with the product that culminated at the end of Revolution, if you weren't redeemed in some way by Eddie Kingston's promo where he was like, he's my buddy and I've got PTSD, of course I wasn't getting up. I wasn't leaving that ring. I was pretending. And you're just like, right. I'm sold. I'm fucking sold. <laughs> He was supposed to stay down in a ring that didn't explode. Yeah. And the, the hilarious thing is, like, Monday morning, people are like, Eddie Kingston's going to save this, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. It was just interesting, though, coming sort of like full circle to thinking about the presentation the indies are putting on, you know, where the major products, the bigger outfits have dabbled. Mm-hmm. AEW, you said it in the previous episode, they're not afraid to juice. Look at the Bloodfest, as you rightly pointed out, in the Cody mm-hmm. Cody Justin match. The Bloodfest with the chair shot from Sean Spears at Fighterfest. They're, they're certainly looking to push the envelope in different directions, aren't they? Right. And it was interesting to see them foray in this direction. Right. 
and the story that was attached to it, whether it was misfires, whether it was, you know, was it Mock said or uh, Eddie Kingston said in that same promo, it was Impact that built the ring, that's why it misfired, which was genius. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it was it was all laid in there. Yeah. And, and that ultimately, if you want to, you know, think objectively about which bits of the presentation you've enjoyed and so on, for me, it did completely, ultimately, uh, it, it, it had the full package because the match was good. It looked visually good, you're right. They were getting entangled and caught on the barbed wire. It played its role. Right. The sparklers at the end, if that's how we want to call it, weren't so anticlimactic in the context of it all. Yeah. And it, I think we, it's another thing we can come back to, is just the power of the storytelling aspect of it. That you can use the, the phrase, you can turn chicken shit into chicken salad if you're a good storyteller. Right. It's interesting to see the AEW and WWE even less so how how they delve into these uh, more extreme stipulations. I mean, obviously, the WWE have their tables, ladders, and chairs, pay-per-views that they run annually now, mm-hmm. which, uh, as, a, as a further aside point, as we're, uh, you know, as we are a fan wrestling podcast, I do kind of like the one, one pay-per-view a quarter. Mm-hmm. It gives you something to look forward to, Jones for, get super <laughs> excited, super anticipated. When there's a pay-per-view every three weeks, I, I just, I, I don't know that I've got the uh, the level of excitement for it, you know? Yeah. I mean, recording March 16th, and I think Fastlane is soon, but if you if you had to ask me right now when it is, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Right. I know, I know Mania is April 10th and 11th, but I don't know, Fastlane's soon. And, and I couldn't even really begin to describe why Fastlane exists, but that's certainly me going off on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Back to TLC. TLC and maybe Hell in a Cell, which has felt very um, watered down. Yeah. Gosh, I'm going to say it has felt extremely watered down. Certainly after the great ones of Sean versus The Undertaker, Mick Foley versus The Undertaker. I mean, they're, they're the two originals and the two staples, right? Yeah. The E really keep a family-friendly, nothing too, too crazy product, don't they? Yeah, which is funny because in the Attitude Era, the er- Attitude Era, they were doing very similar to ECW stuff where literal shopping carts full of garbage cans and crutches and stuff like that and now you know jack-o'-lanterns and pinatas instead you know (laughs) i think we uh we acknowledged at the beginning this was i guess excuse another pun this was a meaty subject right it's interesting for me again to to make a repetitive point the the rationale the existence of death matches hardcore matches for pulling back the curtain on what wrestling is which we love and adore mm-hmm. that there is then these type of stipulations, these matches, these spots, these stunts that really do take an already physically, physically trying sport, physically trying performance to a whole other level going through plate glass. I, I forgot to even highlight, and I can't remember the match now, but somebody was getting body slammed onto a bed of nails. Mm-hmm. That made you gasp out loud and sort of cringe and, and, and flinch. You know, yeah. that in the world of wrestling, it is something pretty remarkable to see these type matches in it. And it really does add another layer of enjoying what wrestling is, doesn't it? Yeah, and brings you back to that spectacle. You think you've seen it all, and now you see something new, and that kind of makes you wonder about what else is out there. To reference, we, we acknowledged it in the last episode as well, the forays into it, where when the real world comes back, where the boundaries of that spectacle will be pushed, because it's been pushed and brought in different directions a lot of what we talked about on the last episode mm-hmm. can cinematic matches exist in the arena setting 
will you see more of the big spots with all of the thunder from under the stage and all of the weaponry? It's going to push wrestling in different directions, isn't it? Yeah, no doubt. Barely scratch the surface, unlike somebody that's gone headfirst through a plate glass. <laughs> Something we can absolutely revisit once we kind of dig more into it too at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's going to be some fun stuff coming up for Mania Weekend, isn't there, with different shows. And I think we, uh, mm-hmm. to preview again, as we said at the beginning, that's one of the things we're excited about paying attention to is is what goes down for Mania Weekend is some of the indie shows that happen and spotlighting and looking back across some of that because uh, it's going to be very special, isn't it? It's going to be very odd, yep. but it's going to be very special. And seeing like the GCW stuff come together, the Spring Break 5, uh, Effie's Big Gay Brunch, things of that nature, mm-hmm. I-, I think they're going to put on remarkably special shows because it's going to be a return to the live form, again, with modifications for something that we all missed for a year uh, deeply. Yeah, and I can't imagine the crowd reactions when they're able to be back in those rooms or those spaces or whatever it is. Right. The other preview that we should uh, we should give a shout out to, shouldn't we, to start to uh, to bring this home, yeah, uh, so we can go and get some band aids on and put the staple gun away, <laughs> is uh, thinking about a uh, WrestleMania coming up. Some uh, some preview. We are going to be doing a uh, crossover with our good brothers, figuratively and literally, from the <laughs> Beer Review Journal. Yes, uh, I think we're going to be joining Matt and Blue to do a. Uh, brj discussion and uh some wrestling talk yes either wrestling themed or wrestling adjunct beers it's a way to celebrate wrestlemania isn't it wrestlemania is the grandest stage of them all once upon a time and uh we got to be doing some celebrating of that given the last year right absolutely yeah i'm so excited for that yeah talking talking about that a little bit already it's gonna be a lot of fun definitely let's bring this home you want to give a shout out to our socials and our theme music josh sure will you can find us on Twitter at ISWrestlePod. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at ISWPMordecai. The Instagram may or may not have an underscore between ISWP and Mordecai, depending on if I get that sorted out. Uh, <laughs> shout out to all my new uh, Polish and Turkish friends who were friended when my account was hacked recently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you'll find me in one of two places. And then, of course, thank you to Alien Trilogy for our theme song, Michinoku Driver. So glad we stumbled upon that incredible, incredible song. Thank you for letting us use it. Yeah, it's a super song, isn't it? We appreciate the support, folks. So we're, uh, of course, with this recording, three episodes in. Appreciate the support. Join the conversation on the socials. Let us know what you're watching. Let us know who we should be following along with, too. The fan community, the wrestling community is uh, is something we both hold dear. So uh, get in touch. Let us know what's good. Definitely. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We'll see you next time. Bye. I'm Michinoku. Driver! <laughs>